Okay, we're beginning a little summertime series, and we're going to use the book of Proverbs for our Sunday school lessons for the next five or six weeks, leading us into the fall. And uh, Proverbs is a very fascinating, interesting book. Uh, we all need to be wiser, right? Is anybody, got, are anybody all set with that? I don't think so. We all need to be wiser. We need to uh, learn more so that we can be wiser. And the book of Proverbs presents wisdom when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so it's trying to tell us that uh, wisdom is only found in God. You don't look anywhere else from God and find wisdom. It's not where it is. You always look to God for wisdom. That's the beginning of it, and that's what it goes. If we look in the beginning of the book, there are certain lifestyles that are warned. Be careful. It's particularly really pointed to young people. Uh, Solomon, as a young man, uh, was said to be wise. Turned out not to be so wise in the end because he had a thousand wives. That'll do it every time. (laughs) My goodness, a poor crazy guy. What was he thinking? All right. But uh, uh, he uh, was very wise. God gave him wisdom early in life. And he suggests to us, the sooner you get it, the better. And when I talk to young people that are getting married, I tell them, uh, what you need most is wisdom. And people will say, well, you know, the wedding vows say the woman is going to give in to the man. I said, no, the Bible says that. (laughs) And the reason is because they assume, the Bible assumes that the man is wise. Now, we all know in everyday life that's not always the case, huh? You don't know any foolish men, do you? (laughs) I dare you to shake your head. You still got to go home and eat lunch, see? Well, sure, of course. Uh, And so uh, the concept of a of a woman in a marriage and a man getting along is that the, the woman's going to give in because he's wise, because he has become wise. And so I always recommend to young fellows, you better read the book of Proverbs. It'll help more than any other thing. There is no piece of literature written anywhere else that has this. It's just not out there. I don't care what you say. Oh, Swami, somebody or other, he's, he's dumb. Don't read that stuff. That's a waste of your energy. This is what you, where you turn to be wise. Now, there's a lot of stuff here. So what we're going to do is we're going to be random in one way and then not in another way. This week, we're going to look at chapter 13 and randomly pick out a few verses to go through. And every week, we'll just bump up a chapter. So... If you like to read ahead, but some of you do, which I highly recommend, then next week, Sunday school, you read chapter 14. We won't cover the whole thing, not enough time, uh, but we'll cover some of it. And so we'll do 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Uh, That'll bring us to the fall, all right? We've got six more sessions till fall, so... We're starting in chapter 13, and we're going to start... Verse number five. A righteous man hateth lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. 
And so uh, of the observations he's making here, he says the godly man will always tell the truth. He's always talking about the man of God, the man who follows God. He will tell the truth always. Now the, the idea is that a wicked man is loathsome and cometh to shame. Why? Because he doesn't tell the truth. Because he's not afraid to lie. All right? The wicked man will lie. And the godly man will tell the truth. And what makes it like that? Well, um, our character as Christians is developed by believing what's true. That's how we get to be who we are. We believe what's true. We have the Bible tell us what's true, and we teach, and we do everything that we can to explain it. And so uh, if I consider truth, well, it's more than just what I tell to somebody. All right? It's the way I live. You know, live by truth. And uh, the spiritual life is renewed by truth. That's why we have Sunday school every week. We don't say, well, we'll have Sunday school maybe every six weeks in case you might need it. No, we say we need it every week. We need truth every week. And so uh, truth helps us to grow, helps us to perceive things. And so becomes essential then to the man who believes in God. He hates lying. He's always going to tell the truth. You say, well, why is that so important? Well, uh, if he lies... His conscience is disturbed. We should feel, if we say something that's not quite true, our conscience should be disturbed. A little voice that says, now you know that wasn't true. All right. So, he tells the truth, and here's the important thing about it. When you tell the truth, you take the consequences. I did it. My mother started very early on that. <laughs> very early. I was a little, little, little guy. We went into Murphy's store on Main Street Medina, and they had all that candy. And I didn't I'll just take one. I grabbed one, shoved it in my mouth, and I was eating it in the car. She said, what's in your mouth? <laughs> candy. Where'd you get that? In there. Out you go. <laughs> you're going right in there, and you're just going to tell them that you stole a piece of candy. Well, that trained me for a long time. <laughs> you better tell the truth. You better not do things like that. And you're going to tell the truth. There's consequences to it. And why do people lie? Because they don't want to face the consequences of the truth. If you tell the truth, somebody's going to say, hmm, you're not what I thought you were. And so people make up a lie. And he's not afraid to lie. All right. He'll lie to avoid consequences. And so take a look at uh, 2 Thessalonians. This is a real kind of chilling uh, passage here. 2 Thessalonians. Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, 
because God has an opinion about this too. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine, talking about Satan. Even him, that's Satan, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. <coughs> who's aligned with Satan is the Antichrist. He's a liar. With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, he lies to anybody who listen, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Right. They didn't love truth. They didn't think the Bible was important. They didn't think finding out what's true really made any difference. They didn't love truth. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. God says, if you don't love truth, if you don't treasure what's truth, I'm going to allow you to believe lie. I'm going to send you, as a matter of fact, so you uh, a cloudiness in your mind so you can't tell what's true. So you need to cling to truth and tell it whatever the consequences and don't be afraid to take the consequences. Uh, God would much rather say, well, okay, you know, you, you deserved what you got. Uh, you're a lot better off telling the truth. All right, so that's one. Let's look at another one. Uh, verse, number, verse number nine. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. All right? So here he's got the concept of a light. You're holding a light, and people look at you. You're attracted to your light. He said, now, people of righteous people, the good man, the just man, he says, or the man of God, he's holding a light, something that attracts people to him. The wicked man, the man who doesn't believe in God, also has a light. You say, no, he doesn't. He lives in darkness. Well, no. There's something about him that attracts other people. All right. If, he says, if you're a righteous man, what would be attractive? Well, hopefully your good character is an attraction to other people. Uh, your faithfulness, your kindness, your patience is an attractive thing. And, of course, your love for people is something that people are attracted to. People are attracted to that kind of light that you shine out. Now, what's the light of the wicked? Well, sometimes it's just having a big, fun old time. Having a big old party and doing whatever you feel like. And people say, well, that looks like fun. That's their attractiveness. All right, and what he says here is the, the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. Uh, he collects things. He does whatever he wants to do. He's living his life his own way. People say, that's attractive to me. But at the end of life, what do you got? You got nothing. All right, so that light was, you're attracted to that light of, of ignoring God. Then you get to the end of it. There's nothing. Well, if you're attracted to the light that shines out of us from Christ in us, then what do you got when you're done? Eternal life. Live forever. Go to heaven. So we're attractive to different things. And he said, realize that if you're attracted to someone who wants nothing to do with God, where's that going to put you? The end of life. 
Nothing. It's all done. You lose. All right, next one, verse 10. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Arguments, fighting, arguing, is driven by pride. <coughs> pride is what drives an argument. Why is that? Why would that be an argument? Because my way is better than yours. My idea is better than yours. My thoughts are smarter than yours. And so there comes an argument, a stress, strife comes out of that. My idea is better than yours. So he says pride is the thing that creates the argument and the strife. And if we go back in the history of not just the world, but the history of all things, where did pride first show up? Showed up in heaven, where the angel, Satan, said, I'm going to be like God. I can do it better than him. And that caused the strife. So pride is the thing that causes strife. So what are we going to do about that? He said, only by pride comes contention, but with a well-advised is wisdom. Uh, in dealing with people, it's highly suggested that you be willing to take advice. You'd be willing to take advice. He says, would be advised. All right. Uh, you will not be proud and say, my ideas are better than yours. What are you going to say? I'd like to hear. Give me some advice. Help me to take advice. Seek wisdom and take advice, and you'll avoid the strife in life. It's an essential thing that we learn to take advice. So he says, with the well-advised is wisdom. Why? Because he knows enough not to argue over a point of view. Pride says, argue. Well-advised, people who will take advice, say, no, I don't need to argue. I'm going to take advice and find a better way to do it. All right? Next thing, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. Hope is a very powerful thing. Just as pride is a dangerous thing, hope is a very powerful thing. If you're living without hope, you're going to be miserable. We've got to have hope. And it's a powerful thing because it gives us a positive view of the future. People look at the world around us, particularly today, and they get discouraged. They get discouraged. They think, what a mess. How are we ever going to survive it? Well, we got hope because we know that on the other side, when our life is over, we can come out really well. So hope deferred. In other words, if you had hope that something would come and it didn't happen like you were hoping... And you can be very depressed by that. He said, hope deferred. Now, when the hope comes and we get what it is and we feel better, he says, it's a tree of life. Uh, it's a source of happiness. It gives us energy for more hope in the future. The hope is a powerful thing. You want to make sure you don't lose it. How are you going to do that? 
hope deferred. Well, if you want to figure it out, uh, it's patience. Right? Patience. Patience is a virtue, my mother said. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in women and never found in men. That's what she said. <laughs> That's not what I say. Um, but uh, patience is a virtue. And if hope gets deferred and you get depressed, what do you need? Patience. To wait until it comes. You patiently wait for it to come. And that'll keep from you from being depressed because it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. I hoped it would. Be patient. And, and the Bible says, it tells us in Hebrews, we all have need of patience so that what we long for comes to be. All right? Next one is verse number, number 20. I think this is the next one I got, number 20. That's the one I'm on. 13. No, I'm on 15. This is, I got all numbers everywhere. So, 15, verse 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Good understanding giveth favor. Do you want to have favor? What does it mean, favor? What does it mean to have favor? You better want favor, all right? If someone looks at you favorably, they will find you to be reliable, helpful, someone that you can trust. And so favor is one, you gotta win favor. He says, good understanding giveth favor. All right, so when we understand things, when we grasp truth, when we grasp what life is all about, can you explain what life is about? Can you grasp it? Can you explain it? When I was in a doctor's office, I told them, don't worry about me, I know how to live life. They asked you, are you depressed? I said, no, don't ever ask me that question again. And the next time they came to it, are you, I said, don't, don't ask me. You know better than ask me that. I know how to live. I know, I get what life is about. Don't ask me if I'm depressed. Save that for other patients. I don't need it, okay? And so we win favor by knowledge, he said, by good understanding. So if we think a person really has a grasp of life, and we kind of say, okay, I trust that person. I rely on that person. I would do that. And why do we want favor? Because it gives us the ability to do good. But people trust you. Yeah, so you can win their favor and then do good to them. Do what God wants done. All right? Now, he says the way of transgressor is hard. Now, sin makes life very difficult. Sin makes life a difficult thing. Uh, my father always used to shake his head when he'd see people, particularly addictions. Uh, he worked with a lot of those people 
from what was now the Job Corps, used to be a drug rehab place. And he would take those people and out and around the swamp and do work with them. And he would say, the way of the transgressor is hard. Or they live a very difficult life, addictions, very hard life to live. Uh, so their lifestyle doesn't lead to an easy road. If we live the kind of life that we can win people's favor, we can make life better for people, that's where we want to do. So we do well, behave wisely, win their favor, and then we can point them in the right direction because the road they're on may be a very hard road. All right, next one, verse 19. The desire accomplished is sweet to the soul, but it is abomination to fools to depart from evil. You want something? We want something. What do we do? We work for it. Uh, we push towards a goal, and we get it, and it tastes good. We worked for it. We earned it. Now we got that thing we wanted to taste sweet. All right? He said, here's the warning, is that some people love to do wrong. It's abomination to fools to depart from evil. They love what they're doing, and they're never going to abandon it. They're never going to abandon it. They enjoy doing wrong. I knew a young man, he was 50 years old, and he was drinking phenomenal amounts. And he was warned by his sister. He said, she said to him, if you keep this up, you are going to die. You can't drink alcohol at this level and survive. You need to stop. And his answer was, well, if I die, I'll die happy doing what I want to do. And about two months later, he was driving down the road, pulled off the side of the road and died. Right in the side of the road. Gone. Just like that. Why? Because he says the fool here, he, he will not, he re, refuses to depart from evil. Or he's going to do it. And if it kills him, it kills him. And that's what, just what happened, as it says here. He refuses to depart from evil. You say, you want to do something good with your life? you got to leave that alone. you got to learn how to get over it. Verse number 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. I always tell newly married people, uh, what's the best thing you can do in your life to build it and make a good life? You need to come to church every week. You need to come to church. Why? Because you're surrounded with people who have chosen God, who want to do right, who are trying their best, who are learning and working together. Surround those people in your life. You choose to surround yourself with those people and your marriage and your home and your children will come up so much better. So much better if you do that. Bad company tends to destroy life, he says. Why? Because peer pressure is a hard thing to fight. Peer pressure. And so if you're going to build 
a life away from God's people, and you can expect pressure, and it's going to work hard on you, and it'll be a hard thing to turn away from. Verse 23. Much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there is that which is destroyed for want of judgment. The tillage of the poor. That means he went out and he plowed the fields and he planted them and he pulled his weeds and he got everything to grow and he's got a good crop. Why? Because he worked hard for it and he's rewarded for his hard work. The tillage of the poor, they work hard and they get rewarded from it. And so he say, well, there he is. He's, got, he's all set now. Well, yes and no. <laughs> if he makes bad choices, right? If he foolishly spends away what he has, then like he says here, there's much food in the tillage, but is destroyed for want of judgment. So he's got a nice fat check in his hand because he worked hard and sold his grain and made money. So what is he going to do with it? Can spend it all and all be gone. Spend it all and all be gone. So what are they going to do? I've, I've seen people live in the strangest ways, refusing to pay their rent. And they order $100 worth of pizza every, night, every week delivered to their house. What are you doing? You know, you're making really bad choices. And so it's, it pays to work. He's saying it pays to work. But you must add to your hard work wise choices in order to preserve the labor that you put in. Verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. He that loveth him chasteneth him. Uh, Chaineth him betimes, it says in the King James. And that's the important word here. He that spareth his rod hated his son. All right, my father must have loved me because he didn't spare the rod. Okay? <laughs> he didn't spare the rod. People say, oh, you can't hit kids. Well, no, you don't have to beat them to death, but you can get their attention. My mother reached in the drawer and pulled out the wooden spoon whenever there was any question. And that answered every question. <laughs> no question? Boom, there's that. Oh, no question. We know what to do. Do what you say. All right? Why is that important? Because it shows love for children. Because you want them to learn betimes, he says. Uh, it would mean early is what that would mean. So it means uh, uh, he loveth him, chases him early. Early in his life. When children are little, they can learn so much easier. You take a teenager, you're going to start then? Sorry, too late. Too late. You waited too long. Can't teach them when they're teenagers. You can try. But nothing works better than a small child learning what's right. And he says it shows love. You know, you may not feel love when you get whacked. Right? Yeah, I didn't see it. Man, I, he must really love me. I didn't say that at all, okay? <laughs> but I do now. Now I know that he, they were my mother. My mother did most of it. And I knew that she was going to make me responsible, reasonable, and uh, he better smarten up because she said, don't do that. 
early on in life. I remember, just a little story. I remember, I remember she said, uh, you never know where your shoes are. I said, well, where are they? <laughs> she said, I'm going to find them for you this time. The next time, I'm not going to find them. So I lost them again. Time to go to church. And I said, I can't find my shoes. She said, okay, we're leaving. See ya. And they walked out of the door, got in the car, and left. I was shocked. I said, my shoes are here somewhere, and I better be finding them before they get home. I better never do that again, because if they went to church without me, you knew when they were coming home, oh, man, you're in serious trouble. So you learn. He's teaching you to be responsible and learn, and it's better done early in life. And the last one, uh, verse 25. The righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul, but the belly of the wicked shall want. Serve God, he said, and you'll satisfy your soul. Uh, well, how do you do that? You read the Bible. You learn more about God. Uh, you have a goal in life. What's your goal? That my inner hunger will be filled. And Solomon said, and I've told you this before, God put something in the heart of man, stuck it in there, and it's in there no matter what. He says he put eternity in your heart. And so whatever you get, if it rots and rusts and comes away, it's never going to satisfy you. Because your heart naturally longs for something that will last, that's eternal. And that's why uh, the great French mathematician Pascal, uh, he was an excellent uh, Bible commentator. He talked about God. And he said, every man has in his heart a vacuum. And the vacuum, something that needs something to fill it, is shaped like God. And so the only thing that can fill that natural vacuum in your heart is God. And you need to have God in there filling that emptiness. So he says, the righteous eateth to the satisfying of his soul. We feed on the word of God. We learn about God. The more we know about God, the more that God-shaped vacuum gets filled, the happier we're going to be. He said, uh, the belly of the wicked shall want. He's going to look in other places. He's going to try to find happiness here, there, and everywhere. In a new house, in an old house, in, a, in a, more toys, in a bigger car, whatever it is, he's going to look for happiness there. And he's not going to find it because it won't fill the God-shaped vacuum in his heart. All right, so that's a little bit of Proverbs 13. Next week we'll go on to 14 and randomly go down through the list and uh, talk about some wise observations. Thank you.